0: Welcome to Bone to Pick. We are uh, very happy to be in Los Angeles, California today and uh, an opportunity to uh, interview our featured artist. And it is none other than the great composer, arranger, saxophonist Bob Mincer. I am a huge Bob Mincer fan, have been for for years and years, one of the finest musicians I've ever had the privilege of playing with. Um, Bob has led his own big band for over 30 years. He's a multiple Grammy Award winner, a member of the Yellow Jackets, He's now a professor of jazz studies at USC, uh, an exceptional musician by all standards and by everyone's uh, estimation. Bob, thanks so much for being here today.
1: Thank you, Mike. Happy to be with you.
0: All right, great. Um, well, we, we were just kind of sharing some thoughts about Buddy Rich, and uh, I remember, like it was yesterday, it was uh, Christmas 1977, and my dad gave me a copy of tale of uh, uh, Buddy Rich Plays and Plays and Plays record and i put it on and of course the first tune that i uh, or the tune that i got to that struck you know, me the most was uh, your composition on tales of road rat and uh, that's when i became a bob Minzer fan and uh, um can you share some of your memories of buddy at the time on the band that great chart and uh, and maybe also just how you got started as an arranger
1: well uh, i got started as an arranger on the buddy rich band which um was fairly extraordinary. Um, And the way that whole thing happened was uh, I had previously been making these quartet demo tapes with a friend of mine, an old high school friend, and um, the the, the most recent one I had made was in my possession, and and I was on Buddy's Band, and this was 1975. We were driving somewhere, a long bus ride, as you remember, I'm sure, and... Um, I was listening to this demo at the time we had cassette players and Buddy was on the bus and we were all hanging out. And he said, what, what are you listening to? And I said, well, I, you know, I made a little demo, you know, quartet demo. Let me hear it. So I gave him the phones and he listened and he said, I like that, you know, write something for the band. You know, to, now to Buddy, you know, he thought like you could write a big band arrangement in about 12 seconds. So he said, you know, yeah, write, you know, write 10 things for tomorrow. You know, so I, 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 I just, I said, I, I wouldn't know the first thing about writing for a big band. He said, "Yeah, you you could write for the band. Write something for the band." I go, "I don't know how to write for the band. He went, Write something for the band. <laughs> I was like, "Okay, don't kill me," you know. And uh, so I, I, uh, I figured I better write something for the band, you know. And uh, you know, also, you know, in the back of my mind, uh, there was a little voice saying, uh, "I don't I don't know if you can do this, but this could be an interesting experience." So. Basically, just uh, approximated what I thought a big band chart should sound like. And uh, I now know from having sat in that band on a nightly basis, uh, I absorbed a good deal of information that would uh, inform my writing, my first big band arrangement. And mm. I just, you know, used sound musical principle, principles basically, uh, having variety, having different. Uh, thicknesses and textures, uh, handing the theme off from one instrument group to another, Um, you know, having a sense of an arc where things built to some sort of high point and there were solos and backgrounds and, you know, there was this conversational element in the band. And while I didn't really know what I was doing from any, you know, sound orchestrational point of view, I knew exactly what I was doing. Mm on another level and I wrote this piece um, and uh, interestingly I wrote the whole thing in pen and <laughs> and I didn't because I didn't know any better and I remember I I went to the first rehearsal and John the Barber was there he had brought in an arrangement too and kinda of looked over my shoulder and he went you're pretty confident aren't you? I said what do you mean? He said well you're supposed to do a score in pencil so that you can make changes and things and I was like Ooh, okay, <laughs> you know. But anyway, so the, uh, I learned a very important thing that day, which was a great band can make a mediocre chart sound pretty darn good, and conversely, a mediocre band can make a great chart sound fairly mediocre. <laughs> but it, thankfully, it was the uh, the first case, and uh, I was thrilled. I mean, to hear this band play this thing, uh, it just sent me in. in to the moon. I was just, I was ecstatic, you know. So, I mean, you know, when people ask, what was it like working with Buddy? That's that's one thing that I remember. It's like, man, I had the opportunity to write, to learn how to write, to play every night, you know, and to play the music I wrote every night. So, and here's the things I would write every night. Uh, by the way, I wrote, you know, another four or five things immediately, like, you know, mm-hmm. right in succession because I was so so thrilled and excited by that experience of having had something I I, I had written played by a, a very good band, um, it, it was a, it was an incredible experience. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's what I remember.
0: Yeah, that's great. And you know, as you know, you, those charts lived on, and uh, I was on the band several years later. And Buddy would always call him, and we we loved it. I mean, we were like when he'd call, Road a rap, we were just like, yeah, uh-huh. this is great. So, uh, it, it's definitely a special uh, chemistry there. It seemed to. To exist in, yeah, you and know, it was
1: it was interesting. Um, most of the people that wrote for that band, at least while I was there in the '70s, really played it safe in a certain way. Uh, you know, I, I think they had certain expectations concerning what Buddy wanted. Mm-hmm. But in actuality, he was pretty open-minded and free-thinking, and and you know, wanted something more contemporary, more off the beaten trail. So. You know, the first thing I wrote for him was this fusion piece called "No Jive," you Mm -hmm. know, and sort of this rocked-out, loose sort of funk piece, and he ate it up. And he Mm -hmm. was like, "Yeah, write some more of that!" (laughs) You know, he was just totally thrilled that you know somebody would take the music that he was going to play somewhere else.
0: Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, As a professional musician, you look back on your beginning time in New York. What was, what are some of your memories and uh, thoughts Mm. about that time? (laughs)
1: A lot of memories, of, you know, a lot of interesting experience. One in particular, I remember when I was 18, I had some far-flung notion that I could go sit in with Rossan Roland Kirk at the Village Vanguard. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I, w- I was so ill-prepared for this, but just had, you know, I mean, of course when you really can't play, you don't know this. So you do things that you really have no business doing. And that was definitely the case with me. So anyway, I got up enough nerve. I went down to the village vanguard. At the time, I was borrowing a, an instrument called a conophone. It was a, like a straight alto, but in the key of F. And I thought, you know, in lieu of my inexperience, Rasan would at least be somewhat interested in this instrument. So maybe he'd take pity on me or whatever, let me play. So... So I go down there, and, uh, you know, I show him this instrument, and he's, you know, he's feeling it, and he's going, yeah, yeah. I say, you know, I can play a tune with you? And he went, yeah, okay, you know. So, I mean, I, th- this was the tradition back then on Sundays The whoever was playing the vanguard would let people sit in the last, last set. So I get up there, and... Uh, 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 uh there were you know there were some really serious seasoned experienced people sitting in and me you know who <laughs> had no business being there and uh played nice easy blues you know like like that and i thought oh thank, i'm going to be okay you know i might make it got through the blues played okay everything seemed good and then the next tune was uh limehouse blues you know da, 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 really fast and i didn't know the tune and the, the head went by in about four seconds and they pushed me up to the microphone and the rhythm section stopped and there I was and I had a play and I made a good mess of that and uh, and and had a sort of slink out of the club you know I just hoping you know nobody saw me and uh, I, I, I went home with my tail between my legs and that was a real deciding factor in my career because at that point Number one, I, I knew I had a lot more work to do and I swore to myself I would never let that happen again. Mm. Mm. So I went home and I practiced. So that was one, th- one, one thing I remember. I, another, I mean, th- another incident, uh, uh, you know, I mean, from a jazz perspective, sitting in was sort of one way to get circulating. I mean, I used to hear people say, well, go sit in, go to jam sessions, play with people, let people get to hear you. There was a jam session at the Cafe London on 23rd Street. Bobby. Jones, who played with Mingus's band, led this jam session. So I went up there, had my tenor, and <clears throat> you know the, the octave key on a tenor, I know this is a brass mm. show, but <laughs> if that octave key isn't closing, you're out of business. I mean, you can maybe play two notes, right? So because uh, uh, it just, there's no seal up there, so it really inhibits, it just makes any note below C and B totally resistant, you can't play it. So. I unbeknownst to me this octave mechanism was not working properly, so I stood up to play and I started to play and I realized I could only play two notes. So I started like going da 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 Again it was like I will never you know what's happening man. This is like This is not going very well, you know, this sitting in in New York. And uh, I I thought either they're going to just laugh me out of the door or they're going to think this is the hip new shit on the scene in New York, you know, like two notes, like minimalists blowing, you know. Anyway, those are my two experiences, like playing in New York, you know, I was not off to a good smooth start. (laughs) By any means. Well, but, you, you
0: certainly overcame those uh, I did. those well, early
1: beginnings, but <laughs> those kind of experiences kick you in the pants, and and they show you that you you better have your act together when you show up in a place like New York to play, you know. And I didn't, on many levels. Um, uh, there was really motive. Those were motivators, we like to say.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, those are great stories. Um, um fast forwarding a bit. I know you uh, played with Thad Jones and Mel Lewis and I know Thad was a big influence on you as a writer and um, I'm, I would imagine as a band leader.
1: Um, can you share some of your feelings about Thad and, and that experience? Yeah. Um, gosh, uh, Thad was such a dynamic band leader. You know, he, uh, It was such an inspiring experience to sit in the band with him conducting and he just had some very unusual way of drawing the best out of the musicians in the band and making this music have a shape and sound that was just unparalleled and of course his writing was wonderful kind of the next the next step after Duke Ellington and uh, very contemporary in many ways but also swinging and you know really lush and Fat and funky, and uh, it was just a great experience. Mm. I, I love playing in that band. It seemed like harmonically, you drew from him
0: a bit I in did. terms of. I uh,
1: did. I did
0: taking that those kind of harmonies to the big band.
1: I know. did. I did absolutely. You know, I, I took from every band I ever played in. I stole everything I possibly <laughs> could, and and not consciously always. I mean, just through osmosis. You know, I mean, just listening and paying attention. I, I you know, and it was odd with Thad because when I started writing. Uh, you know I, I realized man my writing sounds like Thad's in many ways but it it wasn't I hadn't looked at his scores or anything it just mm. I had picked up things and picked up shapes and and sounds and kind of uh, you know just you know probably overly borrowed initially I mean I think at this point I've since moved on but yeah uh, of course absolutely Thad you know had a Huge impact mm-hmm. on my big band writing, mm-hmm. for sure.
0: You know, we were talking about your charts with Buddy's Band, and, and all of us, when I was on the band in 83 and 84, we we always used to check the Village Voice whenever we'd be off, get back to town, and we were hoping that Bob Minster's big band was playing down at 7th Avenue South, the club that Michael and Randy mm-hmm. Brecker own, And we were very fortunate to hear you a number of times, and it was so inspiring and uh, and. I just love to hear what you have to say about the band. About, I mean, that band was the personnel was unbelievable. David Sanborn, Michael, and Randy, and Don Grolnick, and Will Lee, obviously yourself, and and uh, Peter Erskine, Keith O'Quinn, all these amazing players. Um, yeah, what was your feeling, you know, starting the band as such a huge undertaking, and then the way the music was received, and and um, and putting together that roster of players.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, uh, uh, initially um it there was a manager at seventh avenue south who had called me and asked if i would put a big band together just for a a gathering of sorts some Mm. sort of party down there and i i i I, I wasn't sure what i thought about that i mean i think at that point in time i played with buddy and Louis belson and thad and mel and and mel and it was time to move on and do Mm. some small group playing um and so i thought "Eh." you know, let me just as a a goof call all these, you know, hotshot players in New York. And I I knew a lot of great players and uh, called all these people. And lo and behold, when they heard who all was going to be there, they thought, man, I want to do this. This sounds like uh, an interesting experience. And um, so so I wrote a couple of charts. I gathered together a couple of things I had done for Buddy's Band. And we went in and played a weekend. And of course, when you put all those names in the paper on, in one band, people come, and there mm-hmm. were lines outside the club, and, uh, you know, it was like, Bob who? <laughs> <laughs> it was like, man, Dave Sanborn, Mike and Randy Baker, you know. Uh, so uh, it, was, it was a very interesting, um, you know, introduction to, to this whole big band thing for me. And, uh, of course, it, it, you know, it's sort of, you don't really know what's going to come along musically in your career, I mean, while I was trying to do the small group thing, in the meantime, this big band sort of like fell out of the sky (laughs) and crashed down right in front of me. I was like, okay, well, here it is. Seems to be, and you know, legs sprouted out and started running, (laughs) so I jumped on, basically, and uh, that's, you know, I mean, it's I can't believe it's like 30 years later, and I'm still at it, you know. I mean, it's, and it's actually... It's a wonderful vehicle f- from a composition arranging standpoint and a playing standpoint to create this terrain in which to navigate as a player and to write for other players. It's just, it's been a real adventure, a real, mm. you know, real gratifying thing. Um, we mentioned Michael Brecker. Um, could you share some of
0: your thoughts about Michael and your relationship with him and, uh, and what he meant to yeah. you? Yeah, uh,
1: I met Mike Brecker in 1973, I think. And uh, I was, uh, I lived on 21st Street in New York City and right up the block there was a, a drummer named Bob Jospe and a, drum, a trumpeter named John Durth, and they had a loft and, and I, was, I, I was over there frequently hanging out and playing and, and Mike came in, he had done a gig and he just got back to town, he came out from the airport, he wanted to play a little bit so he took out his horn and he, you know, he played uh, with just drums and saxophone and I had never really heard anything quite that dynamic up close. And I, you know, my jaw hit the floor. You know, <laughs> I was like, "My goodness!" You know, and, and and what really struck me was he was so sort of self-deprecating. You know, he'd like play this amazing, seemingly effortless thing, and he'd like go, you know, like that. And I'd be like, <laughs> "You got to be kidding me!" You know, I mean, I never heard any saxophone playing like that. Anyway, uh, we 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 made acquaintance at that point, and subsequently wound up working together a little bit and became friends and you know did some hanging out and playing sharing notes together Um, he's just an incredibly was an incredibly natural musician very hard working incredibly innovative I mean obviously uh, both as a player and a composer and a Mm -hmm. sort of musical visionary and uh, somebody who always inspired me both his musicianship his work ethic and the kind of person he was, which was just a very gracious, giving, uh, you know, selfless person.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, during the 1980s, you also toured and recorded quite a bit with Jacob Pastorius, and uh, um, a lot of those recordings have become classics now. I know my young son, who's uh, uh, wanted to turn me on to Bob Minster's bass mm-hmm. clarinet playing, I said, well, I've already got it, but uh, but it's, it's great that... that uh, those recordings living on in, in such a meaningful way
1: to, to young people now. Um, what was the experience like working with Jocko? Oh, it was, as you'd probably expect it was uh, interesting and inspiring um, always great musicians in the band and you know Jocko also was a visionary you know somebody who had this amazing ability to arrange the notes in a very special way and also you know, when you played in a band with him, it was very wide open. There there wasn't a guitar or piano player in the band, hence there was a sort of open terrain as far as improvising and even making up little parts and, you know, um, being being kind of an arranger while you were being a player at Mm -hmm. the same time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was very inspiring. Also a little troubling, you know, he had his problems and... But uh, the music was on a very high level and always very inspired. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, I consider you equally brilliant, both as a writer and as a player, and I think that's a a rare combination. But uh, um, if you were to list some of your influences, both from the compositional standpoint and as a saxophonist, who who might those folks be?
1: You know, uh, compositionally, uh, I'm fairly open-minded. I mean, I i've listened to all sorts of classical music from medieval music which actually had a had a large impact on my writing and musical thinking i when i was in college i played in a medieval music group um, you know uh, baroque music telamon um, uh, uh, beethoven mozart and jeez uh, uh, you know Ravel, debussy um, Mahler i mean you know, just any any and all uh, 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 20th century composers. I mean, Igor Stravinsky, I think, was probably one of my all-time favorites. Just a certain soulfulness and beautiful way of, of voicing instruments that really had an impact on my writing, uh, uh, Bartok, uh, mm-hmm. Alban Berg. Arnold Schoenberg, whose house we live in—that's what I understand. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's rolling over in his grave right about now. But uh, <laughs> I don't know but it's that. an interesting house, and you know, some just his his early music and later music, both you know, were very fascinating to me. Um, but you know, uh, all all the jazz greats from Miles to Monk to Dizzy to Coltrane to Charlie Parker to. Sonny Rollins, mm-hmm. Sonny Stitt, Dexter Gordon, Stan Getz, uh, you know Duke Ellington, all the great Count Basie bands, uh, Thad, Gil Evans, uh, George Russell. I've been sort of revisiting some of George Russell's uh, music. Brilliant, brilliant composer. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I'm wide open. I'm trying to take in as much as I possibly can. I, 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 I love all kinds of music, and I. Th- I feel like it informs what I do in a, in a very profound way, you know, mm-hmm. and there's no reason to limit oneself to, you know, what, what you listen to. I mean, African music, been to Africa many times and learned things there. Brazilian music, um, uh, you know, folk music from different parts of the world, uh, been to Hungary and Bulgaria and places like that, you know, really interesting music there.
0: What a great lesson, though, for all musicians developing, even somebody at your level, you're still approaching it, that open way and, and taking everything in. And I think that's we all need to do that, because that's, that's, that's what yeah. it's about. That's, amazing that's the beauty. Approach. That's yeah. the beauty
1: of what we do. It never ends. I mean, I feel like I'm scratching the surface, really. There's just wow. so much more to do, so much more to learn and hear and experience.
0: That's great. That's an inspiring uh, approach. Um, you've been a member of the Yellow Jackets now for over... So I guess it's over years. 20, 22 years, and I'm a huge fan of uh, the band. I've loved the band, especially since you've been in it. has been amazing. Um, can you just talk a little bit about your experience being in the group? And uh, I was wondering if you had a couple of favorite Yellow Jacket CDs that uh, you've recorded over the years.
1: I, I'm proud of all the records we've done, all the recordings we've done with that band. Uh, I don't know, I think I've done 13 or 14. And uh, there you know, a lot of... Blood, sweat, and tears goes mm-hmm. into the making of those records, and they're all they're all very worthy of of uh, repeated listenings and they always sound good to me and uh i i I would have to say the Yellow jackets is perhaps the band you know you always wanted to be in mm-hmm. for me um, you know uh, as a saxophonist, one aspires to be in a small band where you know there's uh, an abundant amount of playing and interaction to do to to get involved with, and that's exactly what the Yellow Jackets is. And the fact that it's a partnership band with no without a leader makes it all the more uh, interactive and you know active, you know proactive, where you know you make decisions, uh, you, know, you write music, you know you're par- really a part of the. the the bones of this sound and organization and it's something I had never really experienced before or since Mm -hmm. and uh, I I, uh, the interesting thing about a quartet like this is when you change one of the personnel it totally changes the sound of the music and the music goes in another direction Mm -hmm. and that's kinda wild you know Uh, yet, yet it maintains this sound that's very identifiably yellow jackets Yeah. So it's kind of, it's a really unusual combination of elements, one that's just just been great for me.
0: Yeah, I think the band uh, since you've been in it has really developed this incredible trademark sound and you know through your writing and everybody's writing but yours has uh, certainly had an impact on uh, the
1: group. Well that's, yeah, thank you. Um, You know I have to say uh, you know everyone is encouraged to write in the band and we all write um, the interesting thing that happens is once a tune is written, and sometimes it's not just one person, it might be a collaborative writing, but when we all get our hands on it and start to play it and toss ideas around, things really start to develop then mm. where, uh, you know, the, the the sound kind of coagulates and turns into this thing, you know, that again, it's it's a Yellow Jackets tune. Once you know the four people get done with it and we've played it for a while it really mm-hmm. develops a sound and personality that may be quite different from the tune you initially brought in if you were the sole composer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I find that very interesting and exciting.
0: Yeah. That's cool. Um, since a lot of our viewers are, are brass players um, and as a trombonist I've been very fortunate to be in your band for a number of years and uh, record and play live with you. It's been uh, such an unbelievable pleasure um, I can say with certainty your brass writing is as good as it gets and I can't even think of a Bob Minzer chart that the, the part just plays great I mean you you have to put forth the effort but it's it's just so well crafted it's not even funny um, is there anything specific that you think about in terms of writing for the brass section you just one thing I do notice is you always write, in the just the really great registers for the instrument. You have an understanding of that that I think is, I know that's kind of a basic thing, and there's so much depth to your writing. I don't mean to say it no, you know, not in that really. way. But I, I, I'm i inspired by that. It's like just, it feels like this is right in your kind of wheelhouse. Um, and yeah. Anyways, are, are there other specifics that you think well, about in terms of the brass uh
1: Interestingly, uh, being a saxophone player, I sit in the front row of a big band, so the brass are behind me, and in fact, in my big band, the brass, in fact, you were behind me, and the guy whose place you took, who I fired, was behind me playing right into the back of my head, and I I realized um, early on that, you know, you can write, you can orchestrate for brass in such a way where it's not loud and overbearing, And, and that's what it should be. You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with loud, but loud should be a device that's used sparingly to, mm. to, you know, to accentuate or be kind of the high point, pinnacle, whatever. I mean, if it's all loud, it's, it's really not, uh, not good for anybody, playing-wise, listening-wise, or anything else, you know. Uh, so uh, uh, you know, it was a combination of that, of just sitting in the band and realizing, wow, if I, if I voice the you know, brass... And in fact, not have the trumpets play all the time. Maybe, you know, I like trombones a lot, actually. I mean, I just like that, that the, the, the range and the sound. It's, it's a very kind of round, warm sound, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and by, by sort of, uh, you know, accentuating that within an arrangement, you, you, you consequently get sort of a darker, warmer, not so loud sound, which I've grown to like very much. You know. mm-hmm. Again, just through having a band and writing and experiencing these things and hearing things, hearing things I'd write played by great musicians like yourself really informed me as to, you know, how I like to write and mm. what I want to hear. Um, I, you know, I just want to mention, um, I remember you came, when you first came to New York, this is a non sequitur, <laughs> but I think it's worth talking about. When Mike first came to New York, he called me up, and uh, I think you were on tour with Paul Anka or something like yeah, that. Yeah! Wow, what a memory. And uh, <laughs> and I was, uh, he said, he said, I, I'm Mike Davis. I'm new in town, and I'd love to come take a lesson with you. And I was like, okay. And I've never taught a trombone player before, but why not? Sounds like it'd be kind of interesting. And Mike came over. I was, I lived in a, I was renting a room in some apartment somewhere, and. Uh, you know, very, very gracious person that you are and played great and we played a little bit and I think shortly afterwards I hired you to play in my band, you know. And um, I I think there's a real lesson in that, you know. Uh, If you were to go to a place like New York and run up to a band leader and go, I'm new in town, give me a gig, you know, (laughs) I don't know that you would get very far whereas uh the way you did it was really the preferred uh mode of of you know just making contact and getting to know people you know it was just i sort of felt like okay well here's a guy he's he seemingly knows who i am what i do and and is at least seemingly interested in you know learning something you know but you and and, and you are of course but so it was a nice way for me to get to know you is guess i guess is what i'm trying to say and uh I think it was very beneficial, you know, yeah, for, well, for you and
0: me. Well, it was, it's nice of you to say, and I appreciate that you remember it. Uh, it certainly was beneficial, and I really had wanted, I think we, I ended up taking maybe two or three lessons, and you gave me some just good compositional ideas and, you know, building things, and uh, I, I found it very beneficial, and obviously getting to be in the band was uh, uh, a, a tremendous byproduct that was uh, unexpected, but, uh, but it was fantastic, so thank, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, in 2008, you moved from New York to Los Angeles. I think all of us in New York were saddened by that move. And uh, and I, I've always considered you like a real New Yorker. So just uh, maybe briefly, how's how's L.A. treating you? How was the uh,
1: the move, the so, adjustment? Uh, what do you mean by that? <laughs> um, I, look, I lived my whole life in, in New York. I, I guess I'm forever a New Yorker. But, you know, on another level, I'm... Uh, citizen of the world, you know, I mean I traveled mm. the world all year round. Uh, uh, you know, this opportunity came along to teach in, on a very creative basis at uh, the University of Southern California and it, it actually was something I had always hoped to do and this for the first time seemed like the right opportunity in the right mm. environment. And I, you know, knew people in Los Angeles from having worked with the Yellow Jackets all these years. And uh, so it was a fairly smooth transition for me anyway mm-hmm. uh, to, to come out here, uh, less so for my wife. But, uh, you know, we knew enough people here. And, and once we got here and just experienced the climate and the topography and uh, just the general demeanor that one encounters as a result of this great weather. It was like, okay, (laughs) we can do this. It's actually a very nice thing. And, um, you know, the scene in Los Angeles, I have to say, is uh, it's a thriving scene. It's not not perhaps as packed as New York, which works perhaps in our favor on some levels. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if you're a good player in Los Angeles, you're going to play and you're Mm going to work. You know, there's clubs to play in. There are people to play with, and uh, I'm as busy as I want to be here, you know. Mm. Whereas in New York, there's in some ways a glut of great players, and, uh, you know, I, I think it's a little more difficult to actually play on an ongoing basis mm. there at this point in time, although, you know, it's it really depends. I mean, when I first was hanging out in New York in the 70s, I played a lot, and uh, I really made a point of hanging out on the scene, but... Once I joined the Ella Jacks in particular and had a family when I'd get back to New York, I wouldn't hang out because I, I would need to spend time with my family. Mm-hmm. So, sure. Um, but I, just, I find the L.A. jazz scene to be very friendly and welcoming. And, and you know a lot of the students at USC wind up going out into the scene and working and thriving very nicely in mm. Los Angeles. So wow. there's, there's a, a nice scene here. Great to hear. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um,
0: so last September... You recorded the new uh, CD at Manchester Craftsman's Guild in in Pittsburgh. I was honored to be a part of it. Uh, I thought it was an amazing uh, record. Um, The CD's coming out in the spring? In June. Okay, in June. Um, And it's called For the Moment? Yes. And uh, I can tell you firsthand, it is an amazing project. Your writing was more incredible than ever, and uh, a Brazilian-themed uh C D, can you uh just talk about the evolution of the project, the idea behind it, and just kind of what your thoughts were about that?
1: Well, I always was affected and by Brazilian music. I played with Yumir Diodado, with Ileani Elias, with Deduca Fonseca, a great drummer, lives in New York, uh with Toninho Horta, guitarist, composer, uh, Milton Nascimento, the singer named Joyce. Uh, you know, so I I I'm no stranger to Brazilian music, and always have included one, at least one sort of Brazilian-flavored big band piece on all my projects. But I thought, you know, it's always nice to have some sort of focus when you do a project. Uh, And uh, it just felt like it was time to do like a really concentrated Brazilian project. And I had also met... Uh, a, a guitarist, singer, songwriter named Chico Pinheiro a few years earlier and he's just brilliant. Mm-hmm. He's a great, great musician, great guy and we we've been talk, had been talking about collaborating uh, I actually played on his last record and he uh, you know he was very excited at the prospect of doing something with a big band and so it just all kind of the pieces came together and uh, it was time to do this. And. Uh, it just it turned out great. It really uh, was wonderful. The Manchester Craftsman's Guild, where we recorded in Pittsburgh, is a wonderful organization, and they're all about the music. And, you know, yeah. it was kind of a nice combination of New York musicians, Los Angeles musicians, and Chico from Brazil. And, you know, uh, it just felt right, and it felt really... Sure so, did.
0: I mean, it was a, an incredible few days, and very sorry to see them come to an end, but it was, a, it was yeah. an amazing thing to be a part of and look forward to the record coming out. And I know mm-hmm. from the brass perspective, uh, brass players are going to love it. I mean, it's, it's, it's just fantastic writing well, and great Well, you line. guys
1: did a wonderful job, i got to say, man. Uh, what a, thank you. What a great section we um, have.
0: My oldest son, who's a student at LaGuardia a High School for the Arts in New York, is a huge Bob Minster fan as well. And uh, I think I told you the story one day. We're driving along, and he says to me, because like, he knows I play Broadway shows a lot. He looks over and we're listening, to, I think we're listening to Latin from Manhattan. And he's, the light bulb went off, and he goes, Dad, why don't they do a Broadway show with music like this? <laughs> <laughs> That's well, yeah, we we've, we've all been wondering that for about yeah. the last, uh, how old is Bob? Yeah. Uh, naivety <laughs> of
1: youth, yes, I, but, it, but I agree.
0: At any rate, I was telling him that I was going to be coming out and uh, interviewing you, and he was all excited. And I said, well, do you have a question that you would ask Bob? Uh, and uh, I thought, well, maybe if he gets a good question, that I think he came up with a good one. He just said, he is an aspiring young writer. What recommendations would you have for an aspiring young big band writer?
1: Oh boy. Um, Well, uh, write a lot. Um, Find a vehicle, as in find a band to write for, or put your own band together. Um, Listen to whatever kind of music uh, you you might be interested in writing. Uh, Listen to big band music. Listen to a broad cross-section of big band recordings if you want to write for big band. Um but mainly, I think you know, listen to all kinds of music, develop some good, reasonably good f- foundational skills in music, and start writing and mm-hmm. get your stuff played. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I learned basically I, I, before I even knew what I was doing, I was writing for bands and and hearing the result, which really helped me to write the next chart and you know actually, when uh, back to buddy Rich's band I I was writing for Buddy, you know, mm-hmm. and for mm-hmm. that band. I had the sound of the band in my head, and I knew what he was like and what he wanted. So, you know, the first piece was a funk fusion piece. The next thing, I knew he played a shuffle, like really like nobody, you know, and it, was, it just felt great, so I wrote a shuffle and gave him what he liked to hear. You know, I knew the way he would set up things and play fills, and play with the band, so I sort of mimicked some of those things from the other charts that we had played in that band. Um, then I did that little rock ballad thing. I knew he could do that. Um, you know I wrote a ballad at one point uh, I wrote a you know a couple of more funk things. but I tried to really focus on what he did mm-hmm. and so and, and give him something that where he would be comfortable and it it worked every time mm. you know so you, you you know you write, you get to get your stuff played, you play in bands, you know you learn a lot from just playing and yeah. absorbing and oh, playing that's... with other people and checking out the interaction you know also, if you're going to write for a big band or any jazz band, you want to know the language of the rhythm section, you know you want to know something about drums, you want to be articulate in how the drums work, what are the components you know mm-hmm. in fact, I've owned a drum set for thirty some odd years. you know you should play drums, you should know what that is mm-hmm. you know know why a good groove sounds the way it is. You should know about piano, of course, I mean, about voicings, about how different piano players play. You know, you're going to use the piano initially just to figure things out and mm-hmm. you, want to, you want to have some piano skills. And it's not a bad idea to know a little bit about bass and guitar too, mm-hmm. just, you know, how that works, what the what the strings are, you know, what are the capabilities. Um,
0: Bob, I know my son will enjoy hearing that and, and will heed those words for sure. Um, I had one last question. I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to change it. I, I, you, you are such an evolving musician and inspired musician and you inspire all of us. And, and I was going to ask you if you had a few favorite Bob Minster CDs that you'd take on uh, Desert Island, but I don't think you're, uh, you're going to answer that. So I'm going to change my last question and ask Thank you, you <laughs> I'm going to ask you, uh, You know, what are you uh, looking forward to in the next five to 10 years? And what where, where's Bob Minster heading? Uh, you, you have such an amazing career but i feel like there's a lot more of you uh coming so i'm just
1: curious if you if you have wow. ideas Jeez, um you know i i don't really know the answer to that i i mean i've i've done a lot in my yeah, 59 years yeah. on the planet and uh I, i'm doing a lot right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm just kind of trying to hold on and hold it together, you know. I mean I'm teaching at USC kind of in a full-time capacity. I'm traveling with the Yellow Jackets three to four months out of the year. I'm doing some big band gigs, you know, we're going to Japan to Mm -hmm. play the Blue Note. Uh, I play here in LA sometimes. I do, I don't know, 10 to 15 guest appearances with big bands all over the world kind of in a conductor, soloist capacity. um, Writing, You know, getting commissioned to write, I wrote uh, last a couple years ago. Wrote this piece for wind ensemble, tenor saxophone. So, hoping to do some more of that. Um, You know, I'm playing with people. People call me up to play on their recordings, and I played on a beautiful recording today with this fellow Peter Horvath. And um, so, I I, I hope to keep doing that. I'm doing this much is really a full plate and uh, you know uh, Yellow Jackets further adventures of there you know and you know doing the next recording and I already have an idea for the next big band project and uh, you know I I also write these etude books you know so Mm -hmm. I'm sort of involved in the educational component a little bit and um, man I'm looking forward to uh, doing some downhill skiing (laughs) out here in California and I'm looking forward to doing some hiking yeah. in California. I mean, that was that was one of the great things about moving to California. You know, I mean, New York is wonderful, and we did a lot of outdoor activities there. But it's a whole other thing here. Yeah. You know, and uh, we 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 do a, a hiking in different places and exploring, and and I think that really inspires you as a musician too. You know, to have these life experiences uh, really, you know, pull some other music out of you. You know, mm-hmm. so. That's, you know, that's as far as I've gotten, <laughs> you know. Like I said, it's a lot. It know, is a and, lot. But I, I have to say I am so very grateful to have these opportunities. I mean, I, I don't take any of this lightly, you know. Uh, I, I realize I am so very fortunate. And, I, you know, while I've worked hard to get to where I am, I don't think this has happened by chance. I, I realize that uh, I, I'm very, very lucky and fortunate to have these opportunities and uh, to, to get to play the music you f- hear in you ha- your head and feel in your heart on a daily basis is remarkable mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and I mean I, it wasn't always like that you know I mean I played in Broadway pits and I did whatever I had to do initially to, um, to make ends meet. But also there was always this ulterior motive to become a better musician, a better person. You know, I think if you're performing on a daily basis, it may not be the music of your choice. I think you can use those opportunities to develop as a performer, to develop a certain level of consistency, of musicianship, of camaraderie, of empathy in terms of playing with other musicians, and all those things really come into play and make you the musician and person that you are, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think another really important component of what you do as a professional musician or a professional anything is to really train yourself to see the positive side of things, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Because if you can't do that, you know, it's going to be very difficult to get hired, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I know as a band leader, I love to hire people like you that are, you know, just sort of uplifting, positive Come to the table ready to deal. You know, um, not whining about things. I mean, yeah, things in life can be challenging, but but if you if you learn to focus on on wonderful things in life and be grateful for mm-hmm. what you're doing rather than what you're not doing, uh, great things can happen.
0: Yeah. Well, Bob, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for all your thoughts and your energy, and uh, and mostly thanks for all the inspiration you've given all of us. Uh, through the years. It's, it's amazing. And, and uh, I, think, I think when I asked that last question, we all just want you to keep being Bob Mincer. So, uh, so thank you for everything. And uh, it's great,
1: great to see you oh, again. Thank you, Mike. Pleasure.